my thing is like scripture. Yeah. This is what it is. This is where if it tells me something different than what I currently believe, I need to change my beliefs. I need to submit myself to scripture. Mm-hmm. Like that I don't I don't I don't know where the message isn't being understood. It's like you're not 100% correct because you're not scripture. But if all of your beliefs are according to scripture, that's it. Yeah. Because I be worried about yourself. Why you still be doubting you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. Like feelings and hopes and dreams. The future emotions and gravity. And sadly, everything you're rejecting makes this whole life a tragedy. And I got something to say. I got something to say. I got something to say to the world. And I got a place to make Welcome to the Milk and Meat Podcast. I'm Andrew. And these are my brothers. LJ. And Carlos. And this is part two of the Modalism Trinity episode. So if you haven't caught part one, go back and check it out and then come back with us. God bless. Patripassianism, it's it's great because we're talking about how everything kind of rooted modalism and there's different flavors, different emphases all throughout, predominantly in the first few centuries. And after that, obviously, the creeds, the well-established faith, the 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 heresies were called out as heresies, but first they were rising up as beliefs and people needed to battle against them or prove that they weren't really legit. They weren't biblical. So, um, you were actually reading Carlos from the, uh, against, uh, against Praxian or ad adversus Praxian. It was written, uh, approximately in the early third century, 213 AD or 209. I think you said 206. Yeah, you, somewhere, somewhere yeah. in the early 200s. And this was written by Tertullian as an opposition to Praxis, who was a priest from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Mm-hmm. And here's a few statements from chapter 3. You read from chap- uh, chapter 2. You read from chapter 3, Carlos. But the beginning of that huge work, it is huge. Oh, my goodness. There is so much here. But in the beginning, he said talking about praxis tertullian wrote he says that the father himself came down into the virgin was himself born of her himself suffered indeed was himself jesus christ so similar to what we saw earlier uh as being rebuked uh by uh hippolytus in his Contra Noetum verse, saying, hey, this is what he's saying. So the introduction is saying, this whole, the reason that I'm opposing this one guy is because this is one of the major things he says. And then they break down so much of their teachings and their doctrines. These explanations about the father dying on the cross was a novelty. It wasn't what was believed. So when people say, oh, the Trinity, it just came out. It's like, no, the Trinity needed to be declared and protected and taught and explained because of people like Praxis, who actually had followers and wrote big things, like said a lot about God that wasn't true. And it led people into all sorts of weird things. I mean, we have uh, modalism, monarchianism, uh, patripassianism, then we have all of the other. We had Sabellianism came up in the third century. I mean, it just keeps on connecting with the same theology that Jesus Christ is either not God or he is alone without the Father, so all of his prayers are make-believe, which makes so much of Scripture make no sense. Yeah. 
So either scripture needs to make sense in the fact that there is a relationship that existed simultaneously before, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and all at once, or it was a pretend at all times that the father pretended to be a father because he never really had a son, or the son pretended to be a son because he never really had a father, or they pretended to send a spirit who really wasn't there because they didn't send anything because it was just a pretend. Either all of scripture is just pretend, or you can take those statements literally when Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And the Father answered from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And everyone around said, what was that? Some people said it was an angel. Some people said it was like, that's an ongoing relation. That's a conversation Jesus had with the Father in front of a crowd of people, but they weren't blessed with hearing the Father's answer, but the writers of the Gospels were blessed with that interpretation. They were able to have that. Some people thought thunder rolled. Some people thought an angel spoke. They didn't know what to think, but one thing we know, the Scriptures say that Jesus said something to the Father, the Father said something back to him, and the witnesses witnessed an ongoing conversation. That's a relationship. That's not a pretend, what is it, ventriloquism. That's real. But to deny that is to deny the truths and clarities of Scripture. And when you do that and then you push every other person aside saying, you're not a Christian because you believe in the triune God when I believe he's, he's not, he doesn't have that, you have to deny Scripture for that. Now you're denying the church, now you're denying the creeds, now you're denying all these truths to walk around and tell everyone how unsaved they are. That's the problem with this. The problem is that real Christians are being separated from real Christians by heresies. And then who knows what else takes place in their lives. What was the purpose of the resurrection then? Jesus died. He, was, he, he paid the price. So what was the purpose of the resurrection? Jesus rising upwards again, him in his glorified body saying, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Or simply the fact that after everything, after the 40 days, he ascended into heaven. So what, did he go back up and the Father just took Jesus off and hung him in the closet until his second coming? That's not the case. That it's, it's not biblical at all because he's our high priest. He intercesses for us as well as the Holy Spirit intercesses for us as well. And he's the one that's going to come back. We go back to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 where he hands the kingdom over to the Father we have the conversation of the pre-incarnation. Um, I, have, I uh, have come in the volume of this book to do your will, O oh Father. Uh, you, you have provided a body for me. Like, who, who, what, are, what is this all about? And this is where we have to come to a conclusion. What's the point of all these heresies? But just to move and give a false interpretation of who Jesus Christ is. And I will also add, is feeds into the little God's doctrine. Because now you see Jesus as someone that he is not, and you, could, you can say that he is God, you can, uh, you can say that he existed from the beginning, but are you lining your, yourself up with what the scriptures say? Mm -hmm. Or are you going off of some type of interpretation that somebody had made up and has a lot of pull and movement, and they started to make a movement on a belief system because they took Acts 2.38 out of context, or they uh, decided to grab specific scriptures? One of the biggest terms that we used, I used is that person's cherry-picking. To be honest with you, to be a, a, modalistic, uh, a, a modalistic believer or to be a believer in anything, Jehovah's Witness 
or or even um, Mormons, you have to be an extreme professional cherry picker to take things out of context and to make a big doctrine and make a huge movement. It's it's not the act of God. It's simply what Paul said, what John said, and even uh, in the the small book of of Jude, uh, that there's going to be false prophets that come. And their whole point is to blur who Jesus is. It's like it's like I heard once. Um, I believe that Jesus, that only Jesus is God, because in my darkness He snatched me from death and He brought me to life. It's all okay. But right, and I say, and I say, great, great. He saved you from your wretchedness. Your job now is to get into the scripture and figure out who he is. Because it's Christ who works. It's God who works in you to right. be willing to do for his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is to conform you to the image of his son. That is right. literally it. Yeah. People don't know what Christianity is. We got a bunch of non-Christians that grew up in church telling other people that they believe. They don't believe anything because your life doesn't show it. Real Christianity moves. It, it faith, it feels, it, it hungers, it goes, it, it, it acts. That's why James is able to say, you know, what's your faith if you don't works? Where's your faith? Show me. God does not need to see your faith. He knows who he gives that faith to. Mm -hmm. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I'll raise them up on the last day, said, said Jesus. Yep. I know my sheep, they know my voice. Like, I'm not making like matter of fact statements. But as a matter of fact, Jesus knows who his sheep are. Jesus even said, there are uh, other sheep that I have that are not of this fold. He knew the Gentiles that he was going to save. He knew everything beforehand. He knows the hearts of men. He knows this. But we got a bunch of people walking around with a little cross on their neck mm -hmm. and with the baptismal certificate and a family culture of Christian lifestyle, moralism, morality, and they're automatically assuming, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm this. So when someone comes with anything else, they're like, oh, no, you're wrong. I, I'm in this family. I do this. This is who we are. It's like, look, the reason that the number for Muslims uh, in, in statistics is so high is because the household identifies everyone in it as Muslim. So when they do the census, how many kids you got? 15. We got 15 Muslims. They're not all Muslims. Right. They, they don't stand on that faith. They don't walk in it yet. One day they will self-identify, but that's how they, and Christians are doing the same thing. I'm sure that uh, Hindus are doing the same thing. Oh, we got, we're all Hindu. But that's not how Christ identifies his people. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Pick up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not following the Lord Jesus Christ, what, do you, what business do we have saying that we're Christians? So if we're not reading the Bible because it's the Bible, <laughs> it's your food. You're literally living off Jesus as if he's your food. Like, if this is not your food to know God and know how to follow him better and to get corrected and get the spiritual chastisement that you want because you want to be cleaner, you want to honor him better, you want to find out where you're wrong even though it's going to hurt, it's going to be a good prayer because you're getting cleaned by your Father in heaven through the word, by his spirit, in the name of Christ. Like, it's a wonderful experience to get whooped by God in this spiritual sense. He loves those that he chastises. He chastises those that he loves, those that belong to him. This is food for a Christian. This mm -hmm. is a good thing. This is hunger, not MTV, not Netflix, not that. We can have some things, but that can't be our food. That can't be what makes us okay throughout the day. This is. 
When I don't get enough of this, I don't act right. My wife knows. <laughs> I just don't. And I'm really upset about that. But it's true. I am more patient, more sensitive, a better listener when I have time with God, when I make time. When I have complacency or if I for some reason skip a day or I live off sermons but I'm not here, I'm different. And I see the flesh coming up and I'm like, ooh, I don't like me. I want my wife to have the best experience of a husband. And the only way I can do that is if I know my king better today. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and you think that Jesus is a little God, you have the wrong Jesus. If you think that Jesus is the Father and you don't believe that the Son is, is God, Sorry, it's the wrong Jesus. It's not the biblical Jesus. If you think that Jesus is a God of, uh, just a God of many gods, like in Mormonism, you don't have the right Jesus, especially if you believe that he resurrected and came to the Americas, which is another story in itself. You know, you, you, you don't have the right Jesus. And I'm, I'm trying to be very serious about this because I know sometimes we'll laugh it off and we'll say that's weird. But just think, those were just, what, four or five that we talked about. How many heresies through history have filtered the the same thing over and over again and it's all about denying jesus there's no yeah. issues with the son or with the father excuse me there's always an issues there's always issues with the son and who he is and how he is god even the jews were angry on multiple times because uh jesus said my father has is always working i'm working until this day and they got mad at him because he was uh making himself equal to the father this should give us understanding who jesus christ is that he died for us, he resurrected, he is uh, he is has ascended to be in power with the Father. I I mean, whenever God opens your eyes and you see the scripture, what else do you need? Uh, there was a scripture that stuck out to me. It's First Corinthians, um, chapter eight, and um, I'll read from verse four for context. But this is talking about our liberty, okay? But also. This is talking about a specific liberty of food being sacrificed to idols. But look what it says here in this passage by Paul um, when he's talking about idols. I don't know if you have it on the screen. Um, so it says, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. I'll pause there. This takes us back to Deut uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. The context is about idols, not about persons in the Godhead. There's only one God. And then look what Paul says after that. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God. And look what he does here. The Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and... Uh, what was the old song that we grew, grew up with? Conjunction, junction, what's well, right? Schoolhouse Rock. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. I mean, obviously we can go through other scriptures, but this this spoke to me the most as we were talking because in the context of one God, it's always about other gods, little g. And when we're talking about the Trinity, the Father is not a little g-God. The Son is not a little g-God. And much less the Holy Spirit is a little g-God. This is one God. They are all fully God. They are co-eternal, co-equal. And you might not like the term co-eternal. You might not like the term theological term co-equal. You might not like the theological term uh, trinity. 
but we see it in the scriptures despite those simple words not being there. We know that God is omniscient. That term is not in, in, in the scripture, but the scriptures are so clear. And as human beings, as Tertullian did, he was just trying to, to, to create uh, just an explanation of what was already believed, what was already practiced. He, the Council of Nicaea, the Trinity wasn't created there. It was affirmed. Tertullian was affirming the triune God when he came with, up with the phrase of triune, one God and three persons. Council of Nicaea was there to battle the rising view of Arianism. Once again, it goes back to the argument of Jesus, but in my modalistic oneness days, I used to preach that the Council of Nicaea in 325 is where the Trinity was created, yeah. and that's wrong. And that's what, that's what a lot of people say, like, oh, it was created in the 325. It's like, oh, it's not true. Um, being able to, to understand that the Trinity uh, is only terrifying to people that have been taught that it's wrong, not to people that actually read and search the Scriptures for themselves, that's something that should really get people to think and consider, like, hey, why is this such a terrifying thing? Is this really this huge heresy? It's like, well... No, because, for example, Matthew eleven twenty five twenty seven. this is Jesus. At this time, Jesus says, said, I praise you, Father. Okay, I'm going to pause. Jesus is speaking to somebody else. This is not, uh, there's no messing around here. This is the scripture. He says, at, this, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and I revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. If the Son needs to reveal the Father to people, then that means the Son walking around is not an instant revelation of the Father, meaning that He must open eyes, open the hearts, show them, hey, I, I am in the Father, Father's me. I am showing to you who God is. I'm showing you what God is like in this corporal fashion. Jesus isn't the Father, but he exudes all that the Father is, the qualities, the characters, because it's one God. And yet there's this mystery there. I think it's interesting because people want to understand the nature of God, even though they would never be able to explain how on earth did God create everything. How did he do it? How did he, um, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Please to everyone that says they need to understand it to believe it, please tell me, understand, how did God say it and it became? How did he speak? How did he do that? How did he, how? What, what, what way do we describe that, the creation of the universe, and that through Jesus, through the word? How did that even happen? Mm -hmm. You can't, we can't even explain the miraculous just otherness of God, and here we have to understand His entire full nature. Come on, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. We we even, nitpick, but even in that, we see the logos yeah. when He said, "Let there be light." Yeah, that is said, what the logos is. Yeah. That is through Christ He created yeah. everything, and that it's as simple as that. I want to make note and honor God and glorify. God and praise God um, 
for because when when Algie was just when you were just kind of talking and you were like, I'm sorry, guys, for ranting. I, I admire the zeal of people like you, Algie, like Andrew, when you guys just kind of get in there and 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 it's a zeal and maybe even a frustration to help people understand what they don't understand the the wrongness of of twisting scripture the the heresy of saying jesus is the father and because when it's been revealed to people like us who were in a oneness pentecostal church who were so devoted to a lie and god had grace over us to reveal the his truth to us like who are we to deserve that and now because we un because we understand it now we want to get it out there like it's important to draw out falseness and and i know like alj said sometimes we joke about it and sometimes we might laugh at little things here and there but there's a huge seriousness to it and, and I, I was talking to i was talking to my dad um not too long ago and he said and he asked me straight up he said so because i think that jesus is the father you think i'm wrong and I said, yes, absolutely, you are wrong. So do you think I'm not saved? And I said, no, I didn't say that. There's a difference. Where? Why are you saved? Let me ask you that. And this was a a, a kind of an impromptu conversation that he and I had. It, it wasn't planned to happen, but he sat there and I just said, how's your scripture reading? And then we just kind of went into all of it. So I said, why are you saved? Why do you believe that you're saved? He's like, well, because I placed my faith in Christ and what he did for me. I'm like, exactly. Do you think that it was your baptism that saved you? No. And now I kind of hope me, me throwing him under the bus like that right now. Kind of hope nothing nothing comes out, out of it. Um, extra Bible studies. Extra up. Bible studies coming up. Yeah. But we have to be able to say even the person who we love the most, if they're wrong, we have to say, no, you are wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. Either the scripture's right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and the scripture's wrong. And it's not the latter. I have to be able to mend myself to the scripture. Otherwise, it's not God's infallible and word, and it wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. If the scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit, then what the scriptures say is true. Mm -hmm. Not what I get out of it, not what I want to see what the message that God has for me is today. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to the city of, of Ephesus for vacation, you know, like that's so well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you said it because I was thinking about that before we did this podcast. Unfortunately, after you go through all the scriptures, um, when you have a discussion and an argument about oneness and Trinity, it always comes down to that. It, there's never really an understanding. It always comes down to, okay, so do you think I'm, I'm lost? Mm -hmm. Those are two se separate different things. They ask that it, it's, every time. They, yeah. they, it, that's, always the th that's always the issue because it either works in favor so that way you can go the extra step and to make that error of saying you're not saved. We're, I'm, none of us are here to say who's saved and not saved. I mean, we can talk about a different... Um, topic which is election but that's for another day even at that though all we are called to do is just talk about the gospel to preach the gospel and it is still 
It's the Father who draws those to come to Christ. And it's through Christ that those that can come to the Father. Uh, and, and it's always going to, it's, it's the same gospel, even from Genesis, it's always the same gospel of faith. And, and just like we said before, that somebody can be saved even though they are in a, in a movement that has wrong doctrine, it is God who saves. Mm-hmm. But when God saves, that doesn't mean that he's giving a, a, his stamp of approval. Let's say if God saves somebody out of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and and maybe people will be offended by that, but there's reasons why we don't believe that that is scripturally correct or biblical or that that is Christian, or it could be another movement. It it's it's it is God by His sovereign grace who selects who's going to be saved. You don't choose God. God has already chosen you before the foundation of the world, even though that you don't know it yet. You could be. It could happen early in life. It could happen until your dying day when God chooses for you to be saved or when his time was. That's never the issue. All we do is just preach the gospel, and it is, it is God, uh, the one that plants the seed through his word. We're just instruments. We have no right to say who is saved and not saved. A different thing is to tell who is, who is a son of God or not son of God by the fruit that they have. Now, even, even, even at that stage, they could have... Uh, works of flesh as opposed to spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, but maybe even God is working through them. Those are just the evidence that, that we have in discernment, but we don't have the ability to say, and it always goes back to the argument. So you're saying that I'm not saved now, or I have to be rebaptized, or I have to... We're not saying that at all. We're just simply saying, like, you're, like you uh, were being firm, to say, you're wrong on this, because the Scripture doesn't say this. In no way are we touching... Uh, because I believe uh, that um, through the only evidence that we have because of the fruit uh, of the Spirit that God has put in our lives, that we're saved. But I didn't declare you saved, or even myself, or, but yet I was, I, I believe that God saved me even though I was in a oneness, modalistic movement. He saved me while I was still there, and He brought me out through His Word. And that's the same thing that happens with a lot of other people, despite whatever difficulties they're, they're going through. There's people that are saved out of movements, and they can uh, read the Word of God, and they can understand now, hey, I was saved there. I was generally saved, but now I understand the Word of God. I can accept it as it is. So unfortunately, it always goes back to that, mm-hmm. regardless of who you're speaking to. And it's not just in the movement that we came out of. It's in other movements as well. So now you're saying that I'm not saved. That's always the issue when there, is, there isn't a, a healthy conversation of, of biblical uh, exposition there. Yeah. You could be wrong about really big doctrine and still have faith in Christ, really believe God, and yet be taught or impressed upon or just raised in a wrong belief that absolutely just shifts you to look like something that biblically you shouldn't. Uh, yes, we're all responsible for that, the people that are teaching us, us ourselves being ignorant of the scriptures, and it's never an encouragement saying false doctrine is good. Paul rebuked everything he could about for 14 and a half chapters uh, in, in, in the first Corinthian epistle. He rebuked everything about them. He rebuked their, their Lord's Supper handling. He rebuked their uh, intramarital or extramarital relationships, their sexual relationships. He rebuked their, their use and misuse of gifts and their use and misuse of church uh, opportunities and ministry and preaching. I mean, he rebuked them in every single way. That's why he had to apologize, not apologize for saying things wrong, but he said he felt bad in the second Corinthian letter, saying, I felt bad, but I'm glad that 
you had sorrow unto repentance yeah. because it, it produces life. You know, sorrow, a worldly sorrow produces death. No one repents because they just feel bad for the results. But godly repentance, uh, that the godly sorrow, that brings real change. That brings transformation. That's 14 and a half chapters, big ones. Everything's rebuked yeah. there. They take correction from the word. That's that's the importance of searching the scriptures yeah. first. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do, is to search the scriptures daily because this is our bread, this is our food, this is what was given to us by the king. And as much as I love, you know, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and all that stuff, as much as it helps me, this should be my foundation. And this should be all of our foundation as Christians. All of that extra stuff it is was made to help us better understand what is being said in the scripture, which is why it's great resources, why, which is why they're great tools. It's like me reading a book from John MacArthur. It, it's not that if he comes up and says something, I don't know, let's say he has some crazy bread that said, or some crazy thought that says white bread is the only way to salvation. And he just kind of creeps it in there, right? Because he wrote and everything else is good, I'm not going to fall into that one, right? Same thing with all of these other creeds. They're there to 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 help us better understand the scripture. Mm-hmm. But if you find something in there that isn't in scripture, you're not going to stand by it 100%. Mm-hmm. I don't stand by everything 100%. There was this guy that came through the when I was working at the court, and he had, now that I remember, he had Wayne Grudem's uh, systematic theology book and he passed through the x-ray and i said oh wayne grudem great guy because um, i've only seen like little things of him i've never actually read the book and he kind of looks at me he's like you know who wayne grudem is i'm like well i don't know much about him but i do know that his work is, is pretty good you must be a calvinist <laughs> and i'm like um I'm leaning more towards Calvinism, not fully. He's like, oh, I understand the tulip thing, huh? And <laughs> at the time, I'm like, tulips. <laughs> what about roses? Like, <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't understand what, what he was saying, but I was like, yeah, yeah, the tulip thing, yeah, tulip stuff, of course, all day. But my thing is like, scripture. Yeah, this is what it is. This is where. Yeah. If it tells me something different than what I currently believe, I need to change my beliefs. I need to submit myself to scripture. Mm-hmm. Like that I don't I don't I don't know where the message isn't being understood. It's like you're not 100% correct because you're not scripture. But if all of your beliefs are according to scripture, that's it. Yeah. And that's backwards. That's that's um, <clears throat> when you are in a wherever we came out of, or if you're in a different movement, it's backwards. The thought is, you need to be a hundred percent correct, or I'm a hundred percent correct, because there's no there's no searching the scriptures in its context. And a hundred percent correct. <clears throat> the problem is, it's not found in contextual Bible reading. It's found in the pulpit mm-hmm. and behind the banner. That's the biggest problem. Like, there's some verses that are used to back up an entire movement. But 
historical Christianity is backed up by the entire Bible, no ifs, ands, or buts. Don't take anything out. Take it all. Let's read it section, section at a time. Read through the read through entire uh, epistles. Read that with your study groups or whatever. You're going to get historical Christianity. Mm -hmm. You're going to understand the context of these sections of Scripture. Read, read uh, uh, Acts. What is it? Uh, is it chapter 14 where Paul is uh, saying farewell to the Ephesian church? So I think it's chapter 14. But read Acts where Paul is saying his goodbyes and warning the Ephesian elders that from their midst are going to rise up false teachers. Um, Acts 20. Acts 20, okay. Okay. So Acts 20. Read Acts 20. Where Paul is saying his farewells and warnings to the Ephesians, he spent what four years there, uh, ministering to Ephesus. I think that was where he spent the most time out of all of his ministry journeys. Uh, is it three or four years? Um, and read the Ephesian epistle, and then read First and Second Timothy. We need to learn to read Scripture together. Because Acts 20 and the work that you had at Ephesus before in the book of Acts, First and Second Timothy, to Timothy who is being appointed as pastor and bishop, I guess, of Ephesus, and the Ephesian epistle, Ephesians, that's all to the same people. That's to Timothy as a leader and young pastor. That's to the Ephesian church for conduct and understanding. And that's Paul's experience and recommendations and commendations to the Ephesian elders. I mean, you can get so much context and understand if you read everything that has to do with certain events in the Bible as well, not just a few verses from Ephesians. Read the entire Ephesian letter, read First and Second Timothy, read Acts chapter 20, and the few chapters before that. You'll get a really clear picture of the warnings that uh, Paul is giving to Timothy, saying, don't get caught into these and those weird discussions that deal with genealogies and this and that. It just makes people less godly. And then you see in Ephesus that they had some stuff going on. They needed to handle themselves correctly. And then you see that he's warning the elders in uh, Acts 20, saying, you know, these, these liars, these false teachers are going to rise up. All of this is taking place in the same area. Why don't people study the Bible in its proper context. I think it's easy to take a verse and make a show. Plainly put. I mean, how many people can take one verse and preach a whole sermon without actually expositing the verse, but just by adding all their feelings to it? We've seen that too much. Hour and a half sermon, one verse, that's it. Or, or you have, um, I, f I forgot his name. You, you used to listen to him a lot. Um, He's he's from from Georgia. Um, really popular prosperity preacher from Georgia. Um, Eddie Long, huh? Eddie Long. <clears throat> no, no, he was from. Um, well, he's he's from Georgia. I can't remember his name though. He he plays a saxophone, um, and he's he's he has a lot of preachers that go uh, Gainesville Gainesville Georgia. Um, he even has a lot of books. I think he made a book on fasting. Jensen Franklin. You know, talking about what you just mentioned, like one verse. It's so funny because I've caught him twice, uh, literally preaching the same thing as a oneness preacher by the same by the name of Jeff Arnold. Yeah, literally verse by verse. How do you verse by verse, statement by statement, even using the same phrases and and you know, like it's the same exact thing. You know, I 
Dude, I it, was it, blown it did, away when I saw it. I didn't understand that someone can actually do that. That's and so I, I weird. think the first time I had told you and your eyes like just got wide open, you know, it's like when we say the historical church, we're talking about from the, from the scriptures and on. That's the historical church. Um, and it's not just because people will say, oh, well, we don't believe the historical church because they think the historical church is after, after all the scriptures, after the last apostle. They think that that's historical Christianity. No, historical Christianity is from, from the Bible. You know, maybe you're watching uh, and you haven't sent anybody to anybody, <laughs> for those of you that might know us or not know us, and you're in the oneness movement or another movement, you're afraid to leave, but you know what, what not what we're saying, what the scripture's saying, is just, it's there. Like, I don't have to give you my extra point, I can just go to the scripture. I don't have to change it, I don't have to twist it, um, it's, it's just in the scripture of who Jesus Christ is. And, and, you know, going back to what you're saying, people take pieces or, or they spend an hour and a half on one verse. I can understand that. But if you're doing it exegetically, if you're doing it scripturally. Like MacArthur and John like, 1, 1. like Yeah, like John 1, 1, John MacArthur, I think there's like two episodes yeah, on that. Two right? 45 minute there's, sermons. There's two, there's two episodes on that that they make. But like if you have, you he know, get, Philippians. you all the history you need. Yeah, but <laughs> if you have like Philippians 4.13. And you're lasting like two hours on it, taking it out of context. And you can do this. And, you know, God can. Or one time I heard a, a scripture um, or, or a sermon, excuse me. Um, it was about uh, we being the, the or that we have this treasure in earthen vessels mm-hmm. being about the word of God because there were scrolls in vessels, you know. And this preacher was saying, you're the treasure and you're the treasure and you're the treasure and I'm the treasure. It's like it was like 45 minutes of me being the treasure. And I was like. Goldust? You know, it's like, we're going to have Goldust come out somewhere. I'm like, no, just go back to the scripture, read what the word of God has to say, and that's all you need. And if if God gives you more understanding of what's already written, glory to God. That's the people that say the cross shows you how valuable you are. Oh, yeah. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the cross shows you how guilty and how much your sin actually cost in entire death penalty. Don't look at the cross and never think, I'm valuable. Stop that. It's not, it's not about <laughs> our worth. Yeah. It's not about us. It's about the entire price that needs to be paid for all of our dirty sin. The cross shows us how much we should go through. And, and, and albeit, yes, because we read John 3.16, God loved. Yeah, he, he has his grace on us. But, but he, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, it was the love that he had. Uh, it was the love that he had for us. But it, it's like, it's like kind of tying this into the uncon- that God's love is unconditional. God's love is not unconditional. What we ex- experience today feels unconditional because we receive the love that we don't deserve. But the whole reason why Jesus died on the cross and not the Father dying on the cross, Jesus died on the cross, was because the Father had a condition and that condition had to be met, and that was the wrath of God that the Son paid and in our place. And, you know, it's kind of like tying into that, I'm, I'm so valuable. He, some people wouldn't want to view this, but biblically speaking, God's grace is selective, and he has the right to do that. He says, I will be merciful to whom Romans I will 90. be merciful. He's like, not because of things done in the flesh, but by my spirit. You know, not, not because you are all that valuable, but... For my name's sake. He just speaks it all throughout, over and over again. God chooses how he's going to behave with his creation. It's his stuff. <laughs> it's like, don't go into my pockets, tell me what I can do with my lint. <laughs> like, God can do with his stuff 
whatever he wants. And he's not going to do anything dirty or mean or rude or out of place. But he will be stern and he will be merciful and you'll do it as he wishes. There's a lot of people just stomping their feet, spiritually speaking, and because they don't like the lot that God has given them. But God's the one that chooses what he's going to give us. We, we are the ones that receive and say, thank you, Lord, and follow him instead of complaining that we didn't like the size of our lollipop and someone else has a bigger cake. It's like, no, God, God chooses what he establishes for every single life. Um, yeah. What do you got? I thought you were going to say something right now. You look like you're thinking. Are you just contemplating or are you considering? Thinking about Hey, the... did you know that? Hold on. Hey, oh. did you know that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'll get back to you in just a second. <laughs> but did you know that uh, the in the third century where Sabellianism came up and started uh, causing a ruckus, um, it was declared a heresy officially in 220 AD, but it was also opposed by Hippolytus of Rome in his huge work, uh, Philosophomena, which means refutation of all heresies. And he spent, I think, it says over 20 years perfecting this work, which had at least several thousand pages. And it, it refuted in detail at least 30 different Gnostic beliefs and pagan beliefs and Christian heresies all jumbled together. At least 30, even more than that. You got to view how many things did he see fit to write such a descriptive work against these beliefs that were getting into the minds of society in general and in the church. That's that's incredible. We, we sometimes think that there's just one bad belief out there. He spent time writing about 30, more than 30 different ones that were actually pervasive in his time. We have more now. I mean, that's that's a third century. Yeah. Been a long time since then. Uh, who is it? Calvin said in Institutes, um, there are no new heresies. I I second that. I see the same heresies from there right now, today. Yeah. We have oneness modalism. We have Jesus was not fully God in uh, Jehovah Witness. I mean, we got to, we got to. And you just have a, you have a mixture now because like you'll even have oneness Arianism. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, where the the father is is god uh or you can just simply say it's 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 really modalism but it's kind of like a oneness arianism because it's the denial of the sun yeah it, 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 the sun it, doesn't actually exist the sun doesn't actually exist or the sun was just a body kind of just like what we've already came yeah. out of you know it's like oneness arianism really um you have a mixture of of uh, jehovah's witness and unitarianism you have you know, you have oneness, and then you also have Unitarianism. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Unitarianism is that uh, Jesus was just a man, but God allowed him to be worshipped. Uh, you know, so, and, and that's, you can actually find um, uh, a debate with Unitarians, and you have uh, Dr. Brown and James White, uh -huh. which is which is a pretty good debate, because it's all about the Trinity. But like, you even have movements like those. And then, obviously, you have all of these other heresies, and, and you have um, uh, Kenneth Copeland preaching from his days that you know uh that he says that he is god too that he said that adam was was god manifested in the flesh when that's not true at all and and adam, uh, copeland says that he's god manifested manifested in the flesh and i've heard one is pentecostal preaching that say that we are now the incarnation and that's yeah. blasphemous because we're not the incarnation i'm not i'm not jesus christ i didn't i was not the word from the beginning 
I didn't come into flesh. I didn't come to save. I'm not God. We're not the incarnation. And it's no a, matter it's how a you man exalting view. Yeah. It's a man exalting because once you get the Holy Spirit, it, it, they make it seem like you went through Jesus' baptism and now you're going to do what he does. You're going to perform the miracles he performed. And people need to notice when you walk in the room. Yeah. My wife and I were talking about that um, in our in this last trip to Utah that we were at. And I don't remember how the conversation sparked, but we were talking about uh, former beliefs and thoughts that we had about the Holy Spirit. Um, and I was, I was sharing with her about how I had such a close relationship with my, with my former youth pastor and he, he was going to leave town and go to a different city. So we were praying and, and, and all this stuff. And I laid hands on him and I felt like this emotion come over me. Well, now understanding this emotion that just came over me and i walked around thinking that his spirit had just transferred into me and and i think it's because he had told a story about how he was at youth camp one time and there was this preacher who called him up and you know laid hands on him and they both fell back and the preacher's anointing and spirit had transferred over and now thinking it's like where is that even found in the in the scripture like even the 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 uh, Elijah and Elisha, it, it wasn't even Elijah's spirit. It was the Holy Spirit of God that that came upon Elisha to continue as the prophet. You know, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see transferring our spirit over to our spiritual sons. Um, we see spiritual sons, or you even have movements like <clears throat> like Bethel, where you do grave soaking. Yeah, That's like gross. All these. They stand around graves and try to get spiritual out of it. Yeah. All these ridiculous, cultish, satanic, because that's what that is. that's darkness. That's what that is. That that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, they sleep on the graves. They they hope to wake up more spiritual. They wake wake up with insect bites. I don't know about (laughs) spirituality. It's stupid. I mean, plain and simple, that's what it is. Like, why? But, But why do we feed on it so much? Because it sounds cool and it sounds powerful. And if I can make something sound so profound and my, my brother, if, if you just spend this time in prayer and in two hours you get up and you feel you're going to feel the fire of the Holy Ghost. And let me lay my hands and here have my handkerchief that has my sweat and the anointing is in the hand. And you're just like, whoa, like this is so powerful. No, it's stupid. Well, it's all about self. That's man's what it is. Heart, what is it? Man's heart is a continuous idol factory. Yeah, like because it's the me. Finding, it's yeah. He has chosen me. I am the. I am the anointed one. That that's <laughs> blasphemy because there was what? only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. I just think I th- I just think it's important because, um, I have found, in the last three years, I, I've always had personal prayer. But I have found in communal worship um, to have sincere communion with God. And when we pray at the end of our services, if they, they leave the altar open, they, it's not like a major practice. They're like, hey, if you want something special, if there's something concerning you, come up. Pastor will be there to pray with you. Otherwise, just uh, stand and let's all pray and 
come before the Lord. Everyone right there with their families. They hug their children. They hug their wives. They hold their hands. They bow their heads. Some lift their heads. They all pray in their pews. And it's a time of prayer. It's a real time of prayer. And I found that I used to idolize the altar because I was told to. Like, that's the special place. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I don't have a desire to walk down an aisle. It's like, I'm right here with my my kids in my arms. And my wife is like, I'm right here holding their hands. And I'm always thanking God for the sermon because my pastor does a good job at expositing and, and, and pouring his heart into the sermon and clarifying and giving a good, faithful exegesis. I'm having an amazing time. Worship in the beginning, listen to the word. I mean, I don't have a desire to walk and go anywhere. There's nothing more special about that little spot right there than there is in my family. I think a lot of people, they're they're taught. And the, the whole me thing, it's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to be. It's like, are you are you able to worship God together with other people? Can Can prayer be? a public thing with your community, with your church? Or is it always have to be, the lights have to be low or I can't pray? Like everyone has to get away. The music has to be loud because I want to pray in private. It's like, well, we're not in private. Like that can happen. But if that's the only place that you feel comfortable praying is lights down, music up, that seems more like, you know, I just want to be alone. But we're in church. Right. Like we should be able to, in church... We're in fellowship with the we saints. Should be able, yeah, we should be able to fellowship with the saints. And I think a lot of people lose that or they don't have that. And I've only started to experience that three years ago. Like, wow, people stay in their pews and the lights don't go down and still pray. And it's like, I just... I'm amazed at what can become an idol. It's like everything. Every experience, every moment, every preacher walks through, it's like they're the preacher. They got the anointing. It's like, where is your relationship with God? That's a, that's a big problem. And it is amazing because when you come out of that, I agree with you. There's certain aspects that I'm pretty sure we have different um, di- different tastes or different you know, understandings. Or, but that's all, that's all normal. But, but in the aspect of, like you were saying right now, I'm 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 the top guy, I'm the one that, you know, it's like now I I walking in 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 understanding that that doesn't exist, that that's not real. Mm-hmm. It's like it's weird, because you're so used to, you have a specific leader, and um, you know that that leader is, they're they're the top dog, and you don't. Do anything, you don't go. Get, it's like uh, Benny Hinn when they use that uh, "Touch not the Lord's anointed" whole mm-hmm. spiel, right? And and I'm pretty sure me and Carlos can can kind of attest to the church that we attend now, because we're like we're so used to that view. And then we see our pastor who, um, you know, he'll he'll get into the word, uh, like he doesn't have that. Um, how do you say? It? He doesn't have that uh, holier than thou. <laughs> not necessarily that, but he doesn't have that aspect on him. Yeah, like try like I'm the top dog here. Yeah. It's like. It's it's yeah. He doesn't have that elevation about him. Yeah, that thinking where it's like, I, don't come to me after service. Don't yeah. talk to me. I, yeah, and, and and it's not and it's not to say that where we came from that you know that I felt that way either. But it's like in the movement in the in the movement in general where I came out of, mm-hmm. you had people like that. Because yeah. I can say that yeah. that 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 my my previous pastor he wasn't like that. Yeah, I, I never experienced that. But but. You know, it's just like when you're used to a, a movement um, where you do see that, 
it's like it's so strange yeah. and, and now we're at where it's like you see somebody that's a pastor and they're just a regular person it's like because it, it, it all stems from this how do you see yourself yeah um you know how how do you understand the word of god um and and i think it just ties to going to the beginning uh, when we're talking about the trinity uh talking about modalism one set, one belief at the end comes down to for what i understand well it could be two things either there is an ignorance there because god has not opened the eyes or there's an extreme pride and that that just runs in that runs to everything from what we thought was anointing and yeah. who we think is god and who is the top dog or who how we think the holy spirit uh, moves and and is is the holy spirit it or him or and and just simply a wrong view of who god is can can damage everything else i mean you have um you know going back to uh like bethel church and all these movements or you have uh, stephen furtick they're not in, they're not in the um <clears throat> one is pentecostal movement but they are modalist yeah they they deny the trinity even though you wouldn't think so because they're not part of that movement but they 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 are modalist but in their eyes they are the new incarnation yeah they are the the new jesus for this day or they have power that jesus can't and, usurp and they have power and they they declare they decree um or even you know as in the video of stephen Ferguson that i saw that some people took out of context but it really was him saying that slapping his chest and saying, i am god almighty yeah. mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like you you look at it now you're like that's wrong you don't have to wonder is 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 he is that true? Like, there's no there's, spiritual discernment. There, there's no like spiritual discernment. It's a mystical it's like, discernment. It's like, let me, yeah, mystical discernment. Let me just kind of see Let's a little bit more and no, see he, if maybe he says say something. Three, oh, okay. Say three more times. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like there's there, there's there's no more mystical discernment on our behalf. I can just go here because I know that I'm I'm just a man. I need the word of God, and yeah. that's that's what uh, that all comes down to. I think as far as all the episodes that we've done in regards to God, incommunicable, the communicable attributes, the Trinity, um, you know, speaking on each person of the Trinity, coming down to this last episode, it's like, it, who, who's God at the end of the day? Is it me? Or is it who is actually God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? There's yeah. a difference in, like, going back to that Stephen Furtick sermon, I can agree that his words may have been taken somewhat out of context and used against him by people who really hate the guy. But there is a belief in him that the verse that says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. He takes that. He takes a belief like that, like us. We are in understanding that it is Christ who lives in us, but we are not one with Christ in that sense where I am now deity deity right so that part and it's very subtle in these moments they won't right out come out and say that they're modalist or that they're trinitarian or or that that's their belief they're super subtle about it because that's how they drag in the crowds and get all the money and all that good stuff right but 
that's not what that verse talks about. It's Christ is Christ. And and I am one with Christ in his death and resurrection one day when when we are glorified along with him because we are co heir with we are heirs and co heirs with Christ. But we are not deity. Mm-hmm. We are still sinful people who need a savior. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed yeah. to us, but not because of us by his grace. Yeah. Heresies, man. Jeez. They're everywhere. Because I've been worried about your soul. Why you still be yelling you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. Like feelings and hopes and dreams. The future emotions and gravity.